Welcome, everyone. We are so glad you're here joining us we are on glad. this podcast. Correct. And our goal is to take our Bibles in one hand, the newspaper in the other. Or the internet. And integrate them and say, what's going on? And if you read any newspaper today, the one thing that you see is rebellion, trouble in Tripoli, trouble in Syria, trouble in Afghanistan. There is trouble in the world. This last week, we were in the book of Ephesians, and we saw how Jesus had done everything to break down the walls of hostility. And one of the good news is, one of the good news is, one of the great things that we celebrate as Christians is that great line where Jesus came and preached peace. The idea that there's the possibility of peace in our relationship with God and relationship with other. And so, as we start off, Mike, just as you think about that, you know, the idea that we, as Christ followers, have this great opportunity to preach peace, mm-hmm. uh, the peace with God, peace with others. We live in a world, there is greater hostility, and hostility seems to be growing for good reasons. People feel oppression, and so there's a sense of people rising to go, you know, I want freedom, and so you see that. But there is just this sense of people desiring peace. What does the gospel have to say about that? Oh, it's a great question. In Genesis uh, 1 and 2, you get an image of, of created beings that were intended to experience shalom in four dimensions, towards God, toward each other, toward themselves, and towards the world. And then when you see from Genesis 3 through Genesis 11 that sin and death entered the world, all of those dimensions are fractured. So internally, there's shame and there's fear. Now there's blaming and hiding. Um, now our relationship with God demands, you know, sacrifice and repentance and surrender. In uh, even the world, the very creation itself groans now under the weight of sin. So each of those dimensions was fractured. And what the gospel does, what Jesus has done, is restored shalom in each of those four dimensions. And often the, the gospel I heard growing up only concerned itself with uh, the forgiveness of sins, the Godward dimension. But it never talked about what it means to actually, that, that Jesus eradicated the dividing wall of hostility, as Paul puts it in Ephesians, or that now I'm reoriented in the way I see myself and the way I see the world. So this impulse that people have for peace, for freedom, um, absolutely is a God impulse. It's one of those things that, that reminds us that we're image bearers, even though we're fallen, except, of course, we, we look at peace thinking that somehow violence can get us there. Right. And what Jesus has come to do is to offer something radically different than that, namely the redefinition of identity so that every other possible way you could define yourself is now subsumed under the reality of in Christ. So, Paul will later say uh, in, uh, in Galatians, he'll also say it uh, in Corinthians, you know that there is um, there's no, no such thing as Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. And we just don't, we don't understand the radical impl- implications of that. I mean, I, I met a pastor who was Palestinian working in Israel. So, wow. he follows Jesus, he's Palestinian, and he's preaching peace um, to the PLO, uh, and to the hardliners in Israel. And the stories that he told about what it means to preach peace to folks whose hatred of each other is so entrenched, it was it was radical. And it, it, it just impressed upon me how often the church, instead of eradicating the divisions, just resets them up again along denominational lines or doctrinal lines or uh, church preference lines. And, uh, and that the gospel, if it's truly to be articulated, has to seep all the way down into even tribal and ethnic identities to be redefined. And it gives us this chance. It gives us great hope because 
We have the message that the world needs. And yet, for whatever reason, we pull away from it. We are afraid to be bold with it. We have the answer. Right. And we don't move into the dialogue that society's having That's and right. saying. That's right. So, so what does it look like to enter that dialogue without becoming preachy? Uh, oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Because, I mean, uh, uh, part of the reason why we enter into it badly <laughs> is we misunderstand who we are. So we often feel like victims, mm-hmm. right? The culture's out to get us. We're losing our freedoms, you know, and we come very defensive and mean-spirited. We, we don't understand the world, that literally God has not called us to judge the world, but to judge those inside the church. We, we come not from a position of strength where, um, you know, we, we think that we've got to have our act together before we engage the world, but in actuality, weakness and brokenness so that, Je- brokenness so that Jesus can be put on display as the right posture. And so there, there's this sense that we really misunderstand how we do engage, and quite honestly, many of us are cowards. We don't <laughs> want to be unpopular. We don't want to be mocked. We don't want to be shamed. I mean, if you look at anybody who says anything that could be remotely offensive about the gay community, they are just publicly crucified. And there's this heightened sensitivity now, I think, among people that we just don't want to be labeled judgmental. We don't want to be labeled intolerant. We don't want to be labeled narrow-minded or bigoted. And to some degree, we've earned those labels because of how poor a job we've done articulating the good news of Jesus. But in another sense, um, I I think that we're still afraid of the scandal of the cross. I mean, quite honestly, I think to say that Jesus is the answer. He is God in human form. There is no other God. There is no other way. Jesus is the way, not because God is narrow, but because Jesus is God in human flesh. I mean, he is the revelation of God. To, To say that with joy and kindness, you know, will will provoke in others, even with the best of our articulation, will provoke in others a sense of scandal and offense. I like that. So you're getting yourself excited. Preach it, Mike. So three things I hear you saying. We are cowards. We're afraid to embrace that the cross is always going to be offensive, and yet it's the answer. And our job isn't to add to or take away from. Exactly. See, that's p- part of us add to the offense of the cross by the, <laughs> way, by the way we come across, by um, you know, the defensiveness and mean-spiritedness. But a lot of us go to the opposite extreme and take away from the offense of the cross. Right. And, and, and by that, by dis- dismissing the power of the language or the concepts right. that it's only through Christ and the blood of Christ. Or the that, sin or concept of sin. Good. You know, we, right. we want to remove that or the concept of God's wrath and his justice. You know, we want to apologize for those things. And so, so yes, so you were right. You were articulating three things. The first thing I just wanted to add to a little bit to say, yes, we're afraid of letting the cross be a scandal in the best way. Then the second thing that you said is that we, we move in weakness. And I love that idea that we don't have to have it all together. And we are not perfect expressions of the gospel. We are broken people who are being redeemed. And in that hope, we go out and in weakness... God is saving me, rescuing me, that's right. and telling a story of authenticity that's, uh, right. that's authentic and real. People can connect with it, that's exactly and the, right. the power of the gospel is seen. And that's then the right. first one was, I forgot the first thing you said. Oh, that often we think we're victims. We, we come, we come that's to... That's the one. I didn't quite understand that one. That, that we, don't, we don't really believe that the victory is, has been won over the powers and the principalities, and that the uh-huh. move of God isn't dependent upon who's on the Supreme Court or who's in the White House. Now, of course, we are all for justice, and we're all for the outworking of shalom into the every nook and cranny of the world. But very often, there's this kind of 
panicky, fear-based thing that, that even Christian organizations use to market their services or Christian talk radio uses that, 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 that doesn't keep in view the idea that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and there ain't anything the enemy can do, the Democrats or the Republicans can do, there isn't anything that gay marriage can do or the legalization of marijuana or illegal immigrants. I mean, that is all independent of God's move. He can use Anything. That was the point of Romans 9 through 11. Hey, Pharaoh, what's Pharaoh? He's just clay in the potter's hands. I mean, you cannot thwart the purposes of God over human history. And so there's this sense that with great joy, we can engage culture simply saying, hey, it's not that we have the answers. It's that we know, we know where true shalom is found. Good. Giddy up. Okay, so now come at it from a different angle. We have a congressman whose life breaks apart in a very public way. He goes and he's getting therapy. Uh, then another person in the Christian world says he doesn't need therapy. He needs Jesus. What's the answer? Right. Well, what's, what's fascinating is, first of all, how offen- offensive that comment was to people. That, that even people who, who know that Christians believe this were offended by this comment. It's like... <laughs> like that's uh, a surprise to them. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Isn't Jesus the answer? Yeah, and, and, and we, all we're trying to do is be consistent in saying yes. That, that And I've been in therapy, and I found it to be a wonderful experience, but, but therapy divorced from the redemptive power of God, therapy divorced from the illuminating uh, work of the Scripture and the Spirit, Man, that is, a, that, is not, that is not going to solve the problem. That only treats symptoms. The gospel isn't about making us a better person. The gospel is about destroying everything that I could be myself and building up all that Jesus would have me be in its place. Jesus isn't interested in tweaking our lives. He's interested in radically reshaping them, reorienting them, and he actually calls this creation. The old is gone, the new has come, anyone in Christ, therefore, creation. Uh-huh. And and there's the sense that then Paul will say there's an old self and there's a new self. And, I, and I'm firmly convinced that authentic Christian Bible-based therapy can, very, it can be very, very helpful for people. But, but often in the public sphere, you know, if you get caught, the first thing you do, you know, is you deny and then you come clean and then you go seek treatment. And, and we just want to be the community that says, listen, this congressman totally screwed up. Um, but but he's no different than every one of us, so he shouldn't be judged more harshly. There is grace for him and new beginnings for him, um, but there's also the recognition that you can treat the symptoms, but the problem is so much deeper than that. Our inner selves are bent towards what is the worst for us. It is bent away from God, and it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, if you're Buddhist, if you're Hindu, if you're an atheist, that, that diagnosis is universally seen and universally applicable. So I think it's very appropriate for the Christian Christian community to come alongside this person and say, dude, we are people. Uh, as my friend, uh, one of my friends is an organization called People of the Second Chance. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a great tagline for the role of the church in something like this. We are people of the second chance. But, but the second chance is birthed out of the recognition that we can't save ourselves. Right. We can't so, fix ourselves. So you think this guy writes a tweet, everybody gets off because it's, you know, this person needs Jesus. Um, and it is, that's, a, that's a great way to say it. Right. But, but if you were going to tweet something, what would you, how would you say I it? I wouldn't tweet it like that. No, no, you wouldn't. So, so what would be a way to tweet it that captures more the elegance and the beauty of the gospel, but you only have a couple lines to do it, you know, so you're yeah. going to say it. What, do we, what is it? What's that's another way to question. say it? Um, 
Off the top of my head, I would probably say something like, um, though it seems as if all were lost, uh, there is hope and new life and a second chance found in the good news about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I might say something like, um, you know, in a different tweet, that you are still, you still bear the image of a God who loves you and has sacrificed himself for you, and that treatment uh, will be helpful, but it won't get at the root problem. That's more than 140 characters, probably. <laughs> um, but I don't know that I would just kind of, you know, baldly, and I, I use that term very tentatively to say, just baldly throw it out in culture. <laughs> Um, although I baldly say everything in culture, um, <laughs> that, and if you don't know, I'm I'm bald. Uh, that's the the line there. That you know, I have and a you face know the rule. If you have to podcast. explain a joke, yeah, then, I know, I know. I know. Okay, okay. Uh, um, but I don't know that I just throw it out there without qualifications. And the reason is, there is such a it, it's almost weighted against the Christian community anytime we open our mouths. You know, it's like, okay, here's a Christian, so what we're going to get is judgment, we're going to get hate, we're going to get this and this and this. And like we just said, we don't want to de-scandalize the gospel. But Paul was very, very sensitive and almost cunning in the way that he would articulate right. it. So, so to people who believed already in the Jewish scriptures, he'd quote the Jewish scriptures to them all over the place. But to people who didn't, he would articulate the gospel using their categories. Right. And so, so to say, hey, you need Jesus, that is absolutely true. But perhaps there'd be a bit more nuance that would simply say there is grace, there is peace, there is joy found in the recognition that God himself took on flesh and that you don't have to save yourself. You don't have to uh, find self-improvement. There's something that's been done for you that all you have to do is receive. Right. I like that. Okay, so we've been talking about lots of things that are going on. Any last statements before we got to go? We have 30 seconds. Oh, my goodness. Brothers and sisters, we always want to remind you that you are the priests, the ambassadors, and the missionaries of Mariner's Church. When people say how many people are on staff at Mariner's, we hope it's thousands and that you are included in that and that the goal of the church is to equip you for the work of ministry. And so the reason we do weekends, the reason we do Rooted, the reason we do life groups, and, and, and if you're not being equipped to do the work of ministry, then we're, then, you know, some of that could be on you. Some of that could be on us. But that's the point. That's the way we're to be evaluated, that you actually to seek and discern what the Spirit of God is doing right now, whether it's in your car and how you drive, whether you're uh, carpooling and have got a car full of teenagers, whether you're uh, podcasting at work in cubicle land, <laughs> that you would be open to the idea that God's at work around you and in you and through you, and that you would be partners with Him in whatever that work would be. All right. So if there's any way we can help you, you write us. We would love to talk about the things that you need help in. So have a great day. Bless you.